Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, we're waiting for Taz to join us. Are you there, Taz? I'm here. Okay, great. Well, we have an incredible guest today, Anne Gordon de Berrigon, is calling us all the way from Panama. Can you believe that? Wow. And we're going to be playing with it through osmosis with the whales and the dolphins. Uh, Anne uh, has certainly has had an exciting career, and we can hardly wait to share it with you, have her share her career and her life with our listeners. Can you imagine Anne conducts uh, humpback whale and dolphin swim tours in Panama? Oh, that's such an adventurous life. And we wish we just had some little Star Trek technology here so that we could be transported to Panama and be there with her live. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) (laughs) You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Now, Anne lives with her husband, Othniel Ambaragon, an indigenous man from the Ambara tribe, whose family still live in the jungles of Panama. And as you might imagine, Anne presently conducts tours to Ambara Village where they are able to meet their family, whom she says live in a true unity community and where they have the quality of life the rest of the world is seeking. Anne also conducts humpback whale and dolphin tours in Panama, which is blessed with year-round dolphin and humpback whale migrations from the south and northern hemispheres. Well, I think we most certainly have something to um, learn from the dolphins because they are so joyful and they play and they know how to love and their community is full of love and, and, and complete transparency. So, Anne, welcome we are so lucky to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, can I ask a question? How did you end up in Panama? Because I know you were in Seattle working for a zoo and doing some fun things up there. How did you end up actually living in Panama? Well, here's the fun story. Um, we'll dive right into it. I used to train. I used to work at a zoo. I have a biology degree, animal behavior, and I worked for over 20 years training animals, both domestic and wild, for movies and television. So that took me all over and fun adventures, many great stories, and yes, and I got a call to do a film in Panama. 
which I actually almost turned down because I was, when I got the call, I was tired. I'd been working, working, working. I wanted a break. No, I don't want it. Um, they pleaded with me, please, it's a beautiful story. Read the script. you got to do it. So they convinced me. And that movie uh, hired the local Embera Indian tribe as many of the actors on the film. So while I'm working on the film, I'm in Panama for four months, hanging out on the movie set with these beautiful people, playing with their lovely, innocent, loving children, and spending some weekends out in their villages. And I was so deeply touched with how open and loving and warm they are And the very first weekend I ever spent in one of their villages, I woke up the first morning knowing, just a true knowing, that these people would be in my life forever. Not knowing how that would manifest quite yet, but just knowing that it would and trusting. And then, as fate would have it, uh, one of the Imbera men um, is... Now my husband. So here I am, nine years later. <laughs> wow. I mean, not everybody could adjust to that, you know, from the life that you came from to where you're at now. So it must have just been from a past life. <laughs> There's definitely past life connections for sure. And for me, I was at the time when I got the call, I was living in, in Southern California you know, L.A. craziness, and 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 now coming to the jungles of Panama where his family lives with no electricity, the river is the running water, the bathtub, the laundry, the road. It's the only way in or out. But really, for me, it was very, very easy and much harder now to go back to, yes, I, you know, the California self-important world, whereas here everything is very real. Yeah, I know. I spent, um, I spent like three and a half months on an island, and then I came back, and I didn't know how opened I was. You know, I was completely opened. And then you come back into the busy city life, I had to, like, close back down again. It's tough. So, very tough. I'm sure. I'm sure that's how you feel when you come to California and Hawaii. And you just got back from Australia, actually, didn't you? I did. I did. As part of my whale watching tours, um, I have joined a group uh, called the Planet Whale Responsible Whale Watch Partnership, and we were invited by the International Whaling Commission to participate in their Whale Watch workshop to help them find a way to support and motivate responsible whale watching as an alternative to whaling around the world. What a, I mean, what a great, great, great group to be involved with. So you were a speaker at that, weren't you? It, it was not a kind of a speaking event. It was more a workshop where... They would throw out questions to all of us whale watch operators from all over the world. I mean, we had people from uh, 
from Sri Lanka, from Tonga, Dominican Republic, Ireland, Gibraltar, Spain, United States, Hawaii, everywhere. Um, and then we would discuss them and then we would bring up all these ideas and discuss them with everybody in the room and the, and the IWC representatives were, were just taking it all in as valuable information. Oh, wow. Well, Taz and I, and we were just reading on the Internet where they're actually trying to stop uh, hunting whales in Iceland. So, still going yeah, on. that's it's a big deal. And I have, through the partnership, the Responsible Whale Watch Partnership, some of the members are from Iceland. And can you imagine running a whale watch operation with the passion and love and respect you have while at the same time being in the same harbor with whaling operations? Ooh. I can't even conceive of the challenges that they are up against. But instead of boycotting Iceland whale watch at all as a tourist destination, we say, no, go to Iceland and go whale watching and emphasize conservation, not whaling. Because people can't make money from, you know, whale watching, so why kill them? Absolutely. And what other countries do they hunt whales in? Japan? Do they hunt whales in Japan? Well, yeah, obviously there's Japan, um, there's Iceland, there is Norway, um, that Denmark has the Faroe Islands, they have a big uh, pilot whale hunt. Um, those are the main ones. It was quite fascinating. We actually had a man from Russia at this recent meeting in Australia say, the Russian government sent me here, and we're not interested in whale watching. We just want to kill whales. Like, everybody in the room was like, did he just really say that? Oh. So... Yeah, it was. It was like, like, whoa. <laughs> so he wasn't convinced by the end of the workshop. No, he wasn't. But the fact that he was there was good. Yeah. And yeah, was, we also had what was really fascinating. We had two men from Saint Vincent Grenadines who has just up until extremely recently done whaling. And these two men were former whalers who want to switch to whale watching. And they were beautiful people. They were they were like little kids in a candy store. They were excited and happy and taking in all this great information that we were all more than happy to share with them. It's really beautiful to see. Wow. So there is some shift going on. Absolutely. That's wonderful. So mm-hmm. when somebody comes down to Panama, because you um, actually have a retreat in Panama for people to stay at. We do. So when- we offer, um, we call them whale and dolphin wisdom retreats. And our peak whale season is July through October when we have over 2,000 humpback whales that come to breed and give birth from Antarctica. And we have on our whale and dolphin wisdom retreat, we have a 100% success rate in finding the humpback whales because 
There's, they're everywhere. You can stand on the beach and, and watch them before you get on the boat. And we have, all of our retreats have a spiritual theme where we integrate not just the whale watching, but the, the spiritual aspect. We do meditations to connect with your dolphin or whale spirit guide. We look at that dolphins represent joy, that getting us out to play, that whales represent abundance, and they just embody love. And spending that kind of intense time with the whales really just naturally, you're not even conscious of it, but it, the whales help you release anything you have that you're carrying that no longer serves you. And one incredible thing about aspect of being with the whales and dolphins, even if you're not into the whole spiritual side of it, is that when you're watching a dolphin or you're watching a whale, it's impossible not to be in that exact present moment of now. You cannot, when you're watching a whale, you cannot think about your bills that you've got to go home and pay. You can't think about, you know, what happened yesterday. You're like... Oh my God! Look at that whale. It's such a gift. What kind of stories uh, can you tell us about adults that have visited, and maybe even children? It's it's really amazing because you see such a beautiful sense of joy and glee, and you see adults go from you know being in control to hooping and hollering and laughing and giggling. The kids already know how to do it, and they help get the adults going. But one of the most profound shifts that I have been lucky enough to witness was on one of our Whale and Dolphin Wisdom Retreats, I had a woman who actually kind of won the trip through a through a a donation that I made to a non-profit organization here, and this was in their auction. And she wasn't even sure she wanted to go. Well, she had recently lost her adult son. And in his death, she felt terribly guilty, as, as every parent does in that situation. But, of course, it Realistically, she had no, no, there was no way she was guilty for it, but that survival guilt, and she could not find joy. She came on this trip about a year after he passed away, and she, the last day, it was so beautiful, she came to me, and of course, she was smiling ear to ear, and at peace with being happy. And she thanked me for helping recover her joy. It was incredible. Incredible. It was meant to be. I mean, she wasn't. She absolutely. Absolutely. Oh well. Absolutely. Yeah. Magical. You know, you you take people out. You actually take people out and swim with the whales and the dolphins. We do. We do. Now, it's it's always a we're not the kind of place we're not going to guarantee anything. We're going to do the best we can. And it's all about respect. So if if you're here just to swim with the humpback whales, then then, then maybe there's another trip for you. But 
here it's about if the opportunity presents itself, if the whales and the dolphins show their interest in being with us in the water, then absolutely we'll get in. And so it's up to the whales and dolphins to show us that they want us in the water, which for me and my experience is easy to tell by their behavior and, of course, safety. Yeah, it's the behavior, you know, and it's, you know, if you get in the water and they disappear and they're gone, that's pretty obvious that they don't want anything to do with us. (laughs) But I've also been with, with dolphins where, the way they're bow riding, bow riding, bow riding, and we stop the boat, and they're all hanging around. There was one time where I had a, a number of uh, children in the boat, and we were watching them, and there was a whale nearby, and we were watching, and the dolphins were clearly getting the water, getting the water. But unfortunately, the the water conditions, we had pretty heavy swells at that time, and now it's not safe to take children in the water. Um, but they clearly were like, hey, come on. Yeah. And I've had times where where a mother humpback whale and her young calf were near the boat, hanging out near the boat for like 20 minutes. And then a couple of the people wanted to get in the water, so we slipped in very carefully and we swam gently over and then stopped at a respectful distance. And the mother and calf swam away turned around and the people who stayed on the boat said it was amazing the whales swam in a circle all around you and as she did the mother extended her super long pectoral fin out towards us and it passed within three feet of our bodies she was showing off her calf she was showing off so, her calf and showing and saying, "Hey, you know, she was doing a little human watching of her own." <laughs> so, do you get messages from them? I mean, um, absolutely. Intuitively, do you receive messages from either the dolphins or the, the whales? I do. I actually uh, attended and graduated from uh, Linda Shea's Dolphin Heart World School. It's a year-and-a-half program that teaches how to incorporate the living skills of dolphins, such as joy, living in joy, and abundance, and flow, and, of course, love, and unity, community, transparency. And through that training, I became a certified dolphin energy healing practitioner, which is, you know, similar to Reiki or any other energetic healing, but it's me stepping aside and acting as a conduit or channel to connect the healing energies of the dolphins and whales with my clients. So during my retreats, I I can do individual sessions, but I also always do some group healings. And during those group healings or any of my healings, generally I receive, it's almost like watching a movie for me, I receive a constant steady stream of images and visions and messages from the whales and dolphins for those that are receiving at that time. It's beautiful. In the um the village that you live uh to the uh, in, uh indigenous people do they 
I'm sure that they respect the dolphins and the whales, but do they also uh, converse with them? The the interesting thing is that that the the Imbarat tribe is an inland tribe. They're river people. They're not ocean people. Even though where they happen to live, their village, Panama is only 50 miles wide at that point. But they don't. So they're you know they're 25 miles between either ocean, but they stay pretty much. Some of them hadn't ever seen the ocean until I took them to the beach. Oh, which is amazing. Yeah. So they they don't they don't have they of course have seen pictures. Uh, they've been to the city. They you know they hear me talk about and show videos all the time of of dolphins and whales, and but they do live in complete harmony with nature. And they do believe everything in nature, whether it's a a rock or a tree or a plant or an animal, has a spirit. And so they're very, very connected and they they live they they live barefoot. They don't wear anything on their feet in the jungle. So they're grounded and connected at all times. And living in the now. <laughs> And living in the now, and I will I will share with you that I actually don't live out there full time as much as I would love to live out there full time. There's no electricity, no internet, not even cell phone service out there. So to run our our business, our tour business, I kind of need to have a little bit of connection. So unfortunately, yes. but I'm out there all the time. When you go out and you um do the presentations when you're um, sharing with people. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you talk about the connections of everything having life, you know, the rocks, the mountains, the trees, everything is that uh, and uh, at one month type of energy? Uh, I mean, do you do presentations like that and along with guided meditations? I do. I, I each of our whale and dolphin wisdom retreats. I have a different theme, and it's. I kind of just let it flow and see where it needs to go. And obviously, when I'm doing, when I lead a meditation or when I do a group healing, I personally have no agenda. I've learned to just go with whatever spirit and the dolphins and the whales guide me to do. So even though sometimes I think I have a plan. They may have a completely different plan for the group, and that's great because they know a whole lot better than I ever do. Um, they know so what it the group needs. On the group. Yeah, well, it depends on the group and what the group needs. Now, having said that, there is a really fun exercise that I love to do. Um, I call it, uh, you know, reconnecting with nature. Where and I do it also with a in conjunction with a spirit walk where we go out hiking in nature, and it could be anywhere in the jungle, the forest, it can be a city park, it can be on the beach, wherever. Um, where before we do the walk, I have people go out and collect three items from nature, and whatever they're drawn to, it could be a, a plant, a leaf, a, you know, a, a shell, a stick. Uh, what a, a rock, what have you, a flower. And then we meditate. We merge and connect with that item 
and I, and we I guide them through to see if that item has a message for them, how that item sees the world, what their place in the world is. And by doing it with three different items, they really get there's a whole different feel and energy to each item as opposed to one going, hey, that was really cool, amazing. But when you do go from a rock to a leaf to a flower to, you know, a butterfly wing, it's incredible, the differences. And you really get it. Wow, that's a great exercise. Um, I actually teach nature uh, spirit classes out here, and that would be a great exercise to do during the class. Go, go for it. It's not mine. <laughs> Use it all you Thank want. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was questioning is when you take people out to actually, I mean, do you walk from the shore or do you really go out in the boat for the people to be with the dolphins? Um, you know, it, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. is there a better time to go? Is it morning or noon or toward the afternoon or when is the best time for for being with the uh, whales and dolphins? Mm-hmm. Well, we go out. Um, we go out on a boat, and in the Pearl Islands, which is located 35 miles directly south of Panama City, in the huge big bay of Panama, um, it's an island archipelago. We stay on Contador Island. We stay in a beautiful hotel right on the water, where every room you can literally watch the whales from your hotel room, and. We go out on a boat. We go out on a 44-foot catamaran sailboat. And we get on the boat around between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning. And we're out all day until about 4 or 5 p.m. So we're, and our biggest problem is not will we find whales. It's, let's see, we got whales to the left. We got whales in front. We got dolphins to the right. Which do you want to go to? And because we've got the entire day, we can then also visit one of the other nearby islands, snorkel on a coral reef, sit and have a meditation on the beach. We can, you know, we have lunch out there. We have a fabulous day. And something I'm going to be doing this year, which I haven't ever done but I've been really wanting to do, is we're going to do some full moon humpback whale watching. Ooh. With the hydrophone and and because my friends in Hawaii tell me that they are equally active at nighttime. Ooh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's be great. Do you want to give out your web website so that people can actually go on the website and check out your retreat? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the retreats are at whalewatchingpanama.com. Pretty easy, and then uh, whalewatchingpanama.com, and then click on the the tab for retreats because we also do one day tours and two to four day custom trips. So that should oh, give you all that information. And speaking of Hawaii, you're going to be yes. it's coming up in March of next year. Uh, you're actually the I guess, producer of the summit that's going to be in Hawaii. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? I, sure. I, I don't know what my title is, actually. Um, 
It's called the Cetacean Summit. And cetacean, for those who don't know, is, is a scientific word for whales and dolphins, all, all creatures in those families. And the Cetacean Summit basically was born out of my friend Lori Rayon Anderson, who is an amazing animal communicator and channeler of, of whale spirit. And she had come and brought a group down for a whale and dolphin retreat last year. And we were talking, saying, hey, you know, it'd be really fun to do something together in Hawaii. And then so I got thinking about it, and basically I figured out that it's not me at all. It's the dolphins and whales that were nudging me. And so I contacted a number of other amazing uh, whale and dolphin wisdom teachers, healers, and communicators around the world. And this has grown to become at 25 presenters, five-day events with wisdom presentations, guided meditations, group healings, new moon water blessing ceremonies, Hawaiian kahuna blessings, morning dolphin swims, uh, sunset whale watching dinner cruise, dolphin dance party, uh, March 1st through 5th, 2014. And we will have the likes of Joan Ocean, Lori Rayon Anderson, Linda Shea, Joan Noonan, Sierra Goodman, Mary Getton, Roberta Goodman, Takar Shalor, Teresa Wagner, Madeline Walker, Celeste Eaton, Trish Regan, Bobby Sandoz Merrill. We have just a Grandma Chandra, Star Newland, amazing, amazing, the world's top cetacean, spirit-connected people. Yeah, it's going to be right in our back well, Hawaii. It's closer than Panama. <laughs> it's in our backyard here. So that I think we're Hello. actually the same because Panama is a six-hour trip direct flight from Los Angeles. Okay. So it's about the same distance. But, but yes, yeah. Hawaii Cetacean Summit is going to be an amazing, powerful, powerful event. And we are already having monthly conference calls with the entire group of presenters to to ground it, to set intentions, to build the energy, to really bond as a group going to be incredible. Oh, yes, it will be. And what what hotel is it going to be at? It's going to be at the, uh, let's go there, the, the King Kamehameha Kona Beach Hotel. And, of course, we have special rates for the event. And we right now are having a a special event price for the first 50 people who register. Um, so we're having a special price, lowered price, plus um, everybody who signs up in the first 50 will receive attendance at a VIP meet and greet gathering with all of the presenters, plus one free healing session and at least one free book from one of the presenters. So and, uh, people that are out yeah, our listeners who are interested in going to Hawaii for this wonderful, wonderful event, um, go on to the website and sign up. And the website is 
for the conference for the summit. I want to give it? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, the website for the Cetacean Summit is www.cetaceansummit.com. Cetacean is spelled C-E-T-A-C-E-A-N, cetaceansummit.com, and all the information is there. And just click on the register tab, and you can see all the options for signing up. And right now we have uh, 31 places left in the first 50 registrations. Have you actually seen <laughs> physical healings from the dolphins? Because we hear about that, that, that some people mm-hmm. that have been sick close I, them with the dolphin. I, I haven't seen any, but I haven't had people coming specific for physical healing issues. Most of my people, what people want that come to my retreats are more looking for whether it's a, you know, jumpstart, refresh, you know, emotional stress, spiritual healings. I have had a number of people that have received my dolphin energy healings report physical healings like, I had somebody who did not tell me she had knee issues and was actually scheduled for surgery. And after the session, she canceled her knee surgery. Uh, I've had somebody who didn't tell me about their bladder issue, but I clearly saw it and worked on it. And uh, again, she was about ready to call the doctor, and she never did. So I have seen some pretty amazing, miraculous healings through the dolphin energy healing, which is basically the same exact as if you were with the real dolphins. So can you do this over the phone, or do you have to somebody actually be there with you? No, it can be either way. I have done healings sitting in my bedroom here in Panama to people in the United States and Europe many times. Um, or I can, I, I can do it in person. But since I'm far away from most of the world, it's much it's very, very easy to do over the phone or Skype computer so that um, – and it's great. People can relax in their own homes and lay down on their own bed to receive and be completely open without, you know, some stranger in their home or in their space. And I'm sure you're going to be doing healings at, in the Hawaii at the summit. Yes, that will be, absolutely, that will be an option. It's going to be a pretty busy schedule, um, but there will also be some pre- and post-events uh, happening and time for healing, so absolutely, that will be an option. And definitely some group, we've got a really powerful group healing session where all of the presenters will be working together, sending group healing to all of the people who attend, as well as, obviously, to the ocean, to planet Earth. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful treat to be able to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen only that. They have they have a morning dolphin swim panel discussion. They have a, a sunset whale watching dinner cruise, a dolphin dance party. I mean, what's a dolphin dance party? <laughs> that's basically something that that's a fun that's just getting out and having fun 
that's one evening we're going to get. We're actually going to have some musicians, live musicians. Matisha is going to be there, and and then some some CDs and just getting down and getting silly and getting out there and moving to the music. <laughs> that's Dolphin Joy. That's Dolphin Joy. That's exactly it. Play. The dolphins, they always tell, in almost every single one of my healing sessions, they tell the adults, get out and play like you did when you were a little kid. Go play with some puppies or kittens and and don't worry about what you should be doing. Just get out there and play in the moment and laugh. I know. Most of us need that. (laughs) Absolutely do. Yes. And we don't do it nearly enough. No, it's like getting an extra shot of energy. You know, after a day of play, and you come home, it's like you feel so good. It lasts for quite a while. It does. It does. And we need to do it more than like once a month. And we need to do it. La- we should laugh every day. Uh, oh, I know what Taz always asks, and I'm going to beat you to it, Taz. <laughs> when you were a child. Were you truly involved with animals? I mean, is that what led you to um, your careers, more than one career? That's an easy one to answer. Absolutely, yes. Actually, my to show you how involved with animals I was, my very first spoken word as a toddler was doggy. <laughs> so, so, yes, I've always, always felt an affinity and connection and I remember you know I did the the little thing the thing that many little kids did in those days was that I had a, a teddy bear that had wire in the you know in the form inside and I stuck his little arm in the electric socket and got zapped Ooh. and yeah you, know, you know I wasn't comfortable but you know it wasn't life threatening in any way but I remember Sitting in my grandmother's lap with my mom hovering around, you know, and crying. But it wasn't until the family dog came up to check on me that I was comforted. So, yeah, there's, that's an easy answer to that question. <laughs> I know as a child I, I had long conversations with my dog. Unconditional love. There's nothing... Yeah, yeah, they're so loving and accepting, and um, it's such a gift to us. So you actually moved from Seattle down to Los Angeles because of the movie? Well, I I had my own company as an animal trainer for film and TV in the Seattle area for 18 years. Um, I did shows like Northern Exposure. Uh, I did Legends of the Fall. I did worked on Twin Peaks and a lot of commercials and and such. And in Seattle, I was, which is where I'm originally from. I was a big fish in a small pond in the you know in the small film industry there. After 18 years of owning my own company with 30 animals, where there's with animals, there's never a day off because they always need care, love, cleaning, food, attention that I was exhausted and had no balance and no personal time for myself. I mean, if I sat 
on the couch and read a magazine for 10 minutes, I felt guilty that I should be taking care of the animals. So I, at the same time as I was feeling exhausted, I was also starting to feel the call and the pull of the dolphins and the whales. And so I I ended up selling my company and moving to California as a freelance animal trainer. And that's when I actually, it was funny because I let it all go. I had always wanted, but at that time never had an animal starring role film job, which is what as an animal trainer you always want. And I let it go completely. And then I moved to California. I couldn't get work as a freelance trainer much because other companies were a little um, threatened by having a company owner now be a trainer, even though I had no interest in taking over. But I got hired as a freelance animal coordinator. And I landed the new Benji. I landed Ooh. the Airbud series. I landed all like bam, 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 all these big jarring animal roles. And <laughs> so I became a freelance coordinator, not just a trainer. So yeah, so I went to LA and did that. And and I didn't have thirty animals anymore. I had a I took my you know, my very special favorites as my as my personal pets and then everybody else was was placed in fabulous homes and and got to continue doing whatever they wanted to do in their life because I learned really quickly that animals have their own destiny and we have to honor that because we don't always know what's right for them what we want may not be what's right for them so, and that's not an easy lesson to learn sometimes, but an important one. You got attached to them all, I'm sure. It's probably hard yeah. to let them go. Absolutely. So, what absolutely. Does, what does an animal coordinator actually do? What an animal coordinator does is, say, for example, uh, on an Airbud movie like Air Buddies, where there's a story about a dog named Buller and Tiber named Buddy his girlfriend dog named Molly, and there are five puppies. And then there's a bird, and then there's a cat, and there's all these other animals in the script. The animal coordinator's job is to work with the producer, work with the director, to find all of the animals, to hire all of the trainers needed, to put the budget together, to make sure we have all the equipment needed, make sure that the props are made so that they're animal-friendly and safe, to work with the stunt coordinator to make everything is safe, to work with the cinematographer to figure out how is the easiest way to film this, all of the above. The things that, you know, when oh, you're not wow. in the film industry, you don't even think of. But it's That's a big job. On, on an animal film, yes. On a film where the dog shows up in one scene throughout the entire movie, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> it all depends on what, what what the script calls for. So, which what film were you filming in Panama when you went down there? Ah, that's a great. It's called The End of the Sphere, 
And End of the Spear is a true story about a tribe of Indians in Ecuador that in 1956 killed five American missionaries because they lived so remote. They had had no interactions with with white people in the outside world. And they believed all foreigners were coming to kill and eat them. They also had no means of resolving conflict within their tribe other than killing. So it, it was quite quite an amazing story, but what was incredible, and when I first started reading the script, I'm like, I don't want to do this. It's horrible. It's violent. But the widows of these slain missionaries and their children went to go live with this tribe to teach them that love and forgiveness are stronger than fear. Wow. Yeah. So it's an amazing story, and it's told a lot from the tribal perspective, not just the missionary perspective, which I'm not not about converting the heathens. I'm about respecting everybody's choices in life. I don't think anybody needs converting. So the tribe actually uh, allowed women and children without killing them. That sounds like right. They did, and 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 they were they were non-threatening, you know. Um, so it was a really beautiful story, and there's actually an angelic visitation that happened in the real real event of this. And we, in fact, when the the tribe members were killing the five missionaries. This huge, big, torrential, tropical rainstorm happened as they were killing. And in the middle of it, they they saw this light descend from the sky. And they heard this incredible music. And they looked up into the light. And they saw faces. White faces as well as tribal faces. And they knew they had done wrong. So it was a powerful, powerful, yeah, pretty powerful story. So when I got to that part of the script, it's like, okay, I got to go do this movie. <laughs> but, but, you know, not knowing it, that, uh, you know, my. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's on DVD. Yeah, you can get it on, you know, Amazon, Netflix, all of that. End of the sphere. Oh. oh, I'll look for it. That's wonderful. I mean, it yeah, it sounds like. I mean, it has a wonderful ending anyway. <laughs> it's it's fabulous and it's beautifully shot. And for us, we actually had uh, our technical advisor was the grown son of one of the slain missionaries. We met some of the widows. We actually had some of the. The tribe was the Waudani tribe from Ecuador come up to teach the Embera their culture and how they live, including some of the individuals who did the killing. Oh, wow. And so the son son that you were thinking of was one of the children that lived with them? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And the man who killed his father 
is now his father figure and the only grandfather that his children know and love. It's incredible. And he he has so much. Now he has so much love and light and laughter in his eyes. It's like I looked in those eyes. I was like, how could this be the same person? It's a pretty incredible opportunity for me and obviously life-changing because I would say that if 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 a psychic had told me 10 years ago that my future soulmate was living in the jungles of Panama, you know, in a village with no electricity, he'd only had a sixth grade education, was younger than me, I would have asked for my money back. <laughs> what? So you it have, been true. you're going to have to write a book. You're going to have to write a book about your your life. Yes, it's 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 in the works. Oh, you are you're, you're writing it. Oh, great. Well, I actually in between have all of books, you and everything else I do right. <laughs> when you start to say you've actually written most of it. Yeah, I actually have a book that's finished that is yet unpublished. Um, because I have no time to, to I should self-publish it, but I don't have time to do it at this moment. Um, but it's 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 book one, and it's the spiritual life lessons I've learned in my career working with animals, and it leads all the way up to coming to Panama and meeting my husband, which will then be the second <laughs> the second installment. <laughs> what you've learned from. The people that live in the village, probably, and all your life experiences exactly. up to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you keep notes, or is it all still in your head? A lot of it's in my brain. Yeah. It's probably once you, you sit down and start writing, it just comes on, it, it comes out. It does. When I did the first book, it did. It just it just flowed out. It was pretty easy. So at the summit in Hawaii, you said there's going to be an animal communicator there? There will be several animal communicators. Uh, Lori Rayon Anderson, animal communicator, and she has a, a cat, Master Cat Puda, that will actually travel with her that she channels and speaks with. And then we have Mary J. Getton, who wrote the book Communicating with Orcas, all about uh, communicating with the orca whales in San Juan Island. So those are two for sure. Um, and almost everybody does communicate in some way or another with them, either on an individual level or on, you know, tapping into the spiritual messages of them. Um, we have a Frederic Pichard who actually swims with a wild dolphin that wherever she goes on the European seaboard, that dolphin shows up and finds her. Wow. So nice. Yeah. Um, do you believe that the dolphins and the whales are here communicating with us to um, for humans to reconnect and um, kind of guide Mother Earth in the ocean? I, I almost feel like they're Absolutely. giving us messages for that reason. Absolutely, they are. They're amazing. I mean, some people say they're you know they're from another another planet where. To me, it doesn't matter where they came from. It matters that they're here. And if you just look at the 
that they've been hunted and persecuted and hassled, especially the whales, for so many years by humans. Yet, there's no animosity. They they don't attack. They look at the gray whales, where they were the most hunted in the Bay of in Baja California, and now they come right up with their babies to be petted by humans. And oftentimes what they share with me is, I think they, like if you're dealing with somebody who's who's having a temper tantrum or, you know, being difficult, they, they often share with me, treat them like you would a, a two-year-old who's having a temper tantrum. And when a two-year-old has a temper tantrum, we don't get mad at them. We don't fight back on their level. We look at them and we smile and we love them because we know that they're just trying to figure life out. And that's exactly what how I see that they look at us. That they're, they got it figured out. And we humans are just kind of like these goofy little two-year-olds who are bumbling our way through this human challenge-filled life, and we fall down and we scrape our knees and we get mad and we lose our tempers and we do stupid things, but the whales and dolphins are there to guide us, to love us as as unconditionally as as a human parent strives to. As you're, as you're talking, I'm, I really get upset when I hear about the military and when they do the sonic booms in the ocean. I'm just... It just really upsets me how much pain that must you know, oh. give the dolphins and whales Absolutely. because they're hearing they're hearing this. Yes, they can hear miles away. Yeah, yeah, so sensitive, so sensitive. Yeah, it's just that's just an atrocity, and and you know, and the whole you know the Japanese the Taiji thing. What I have learned from the dolphins. What they have shared with me about that kind of thing is it's very easy on a human level to get angry at. Let's let's look at Taiji and the Japanese, at the Japanese, at the dolphin hunters, at their callousness. But you know what? That's not ever going to change anything over there because – and I'm not a personal Sea Shepherd fan as much as I share their passion for the whales and dolphins. I don't believe violence is the way to solve anything. And using violence and breaking laws isn't going to, it may solve, you may win the battle, but you're not going to win the war. And this is a war of love. And the only way we're going to win it is, it's through respect. It's through honor. It's through education. It's through understanding, not trying to force somebody to change because we, as humans, just don't we don't respond well to that. And I think it's a wonderful thing that um, the group that you were with in Australia is doing, uh, you know, changing from hunting to watching. I mean, that's a wonderful solution. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 a great way, and it's. It's commercially viable and, of course, obviously sustainable, done in a respectful, responsible manner. Well, we only have a couple minutes, uh, um, 
a little bit, a minute left. So uh, we want everybody okay. to know that we've been talking to Anne Gordon. And Anne, you want to give out your two websites so that people can uh, go in and look and Sure, I'd be happy to. It's been a real, it's been a great fun. And uh, the Cetacean Summit is www.cetaceansummit.com. And then the Whale and Dolphin Wisdom Retreat is at whalewatchingpanama.com and go to the Retreats tabs. And uh be happy to connect with any anybody who would be curious about attending here in Panama. Um, where we're the only boat out there. Nobody else is out there. It's kind of the best kept secret in the world of whale watching. And the Cetacean Summit is going to be an incredibly powerful, magical event. It sure is. And we thank you so much for being with us today. We've had fun talking to you. It was lots of fun. Thank you. Well, have a great time and fun time and joyful time there in Panama. And think of us when you're having that fun. <laughs> I will. I'm heading out tomorrow to go set up my office in the Pearl Islands to welcome the whales. So I'll tell them hello for all of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.